0: This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading comes from John's Gospel, the fourth chapter, the first 15 verses. It's found on page 82 of your Pew Bible. We are in a series called Conversations That Make a Difference. And John's Gospel, chapter 4, has the longest recorded conversation of anyone with Jesus. Kimberly Fick preached on the latter part of that chapter a few weeks ago, and now we are picking up with the first 15 verses. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. "'living water.' "'The woman said to him, "'Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. "'Where do you get that living water? "'Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, "'who gave us the well, "'and with his sons and his flocks drank from it?' "'Jesus said to her, "'Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again.' but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Let us pray. Jesus, would you speak in a way that it is like water coming into thirsty souls? We give you permission and now we ask. In your name we pray. Amen. In the 1990s, our family lived in Washington State. And we went camping in western Washington on the Olympic Peninsula in the Olympic National Park. And we chose for a day hike what a guidebook suggested was a moderate hike, high on a ridge, and descended steeply into a forested valley below. We enjoyed the beauty many miles down in the valley. And in the afternoon, it was time to make our ascent on the opposite ridge. The sun was hitting against granite rock, and the incline was very steep, and we ran out of water. There was a long, long way to go. I knew as a nurse that we were all in trouble because our faces were turning beet red, our tongues were dry, and we could do very little more than a trudge. And there was snow all around, patches, but it had red algae growth on the top. So I asked all of us to put patches, but it had red algae growth on the top. So I asked all of us to put snow on our heads, under our hats, to cool our brains. Our 14-year-old at the time had enough stamina to go ahead of us and went on to the trailhead where our car was parked. And I've never been so happy to see a young man holding bottles of water coming over the horizon. We had never been as thirsty in our lives. Have you experience that kind of thirst. The scene opens with Jesus thirsty. His disciples arrive with him at a city of Sychar, and they go off to purchase some food. It's the sixth hour. That means it's 12 noon, the heat of the day. Jesus is tired out by his journey, and he is thirsty, so he sits by a well. Now I'm going to do a sidebar here. The son of God became fully human while remaining fully God. There is nothing unspiritual about the human need for rest, for food, for water, for clothes, for shelter, for comfort. In fact, it is so spiritual That in Matthew 25, Jesus offers the kingdom of God to those who fed him, who gave him drink, who welcomed him when he was a stranger. And they said, when? When did we do this for you? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, you to me. Jesus is thirsty, but he has no way to quench his thirst. The well where he is Sitting is Jacob's well. It is a hundred feet down. Water jars were long and narrow and a rope tied around the neck. Jesus needs someone with a jar to lower that in order for him to have a drink. In the heat of the day, a woman arrives carrying a jar and he asks her, will you give me a drink now it is a natural request for jesus to make right not so in the first century it was crossing every single barrier notice her shock, single barrier notice her shock in verse 9 how is it that you a jew Ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jews and Samaritans were bitter enemies. The media portrays enemies today as sitting across the aisle from each other. Jews viewed Samaritans as inferior people whose religion was dangerously heretical. Seven centuries earlier, the Babylonians captured the Jews and they exiled most of them into their land. They left behind the unskilled, the sick, the uneducated, and those people intermarried with the nations around, the Canaanite polytheistic religions, with the nations around, the Canaanite, polytheistic religions. So Jews considered Samaritans as completely unclean. You know, the coronavirus that is spreading and people wear masks. If they're in a hospital, they're wearing hazmat suits to protect themselves. Jews protected themselves from spiritual contamination By avoiding close contact with any Samaritan, let alone drinking from the mouth of the same jar? Now, the woman comes to draw water at noon. Other women came early in the morning to draw the water for the daily household needs. Why did she come at noon? Most scholars think that it's because she was a moral outcast, someone others did not want to be seen with. She says later on that she's had five husbands. A woman cannot get rid of a husband. A husband divorces a woman. So five times she had been divorced. Why? We don't know. And now the man she's living with, she's unmarried remains unmarried. Finally, it was a scandal for a Jewish man to speak to any woman that he does not know. But what we find in these short verses is that Jesus intentionally crosses every single barrier, gender, moral, religious, racial barrier, in order to speak with her. Why did Jesus do They skirted Samaria in order to go from Jerusalem to Galilee. Why did he have to go? I mean, surely it wasn't because of a road closure or some GPS voice that says, turn right, now turn left. The text says he had to go. That word in Greek is dei, D-E-I, dei. It means must. You only see that word in Greek in the New Testament when it's a divine appointment. Jesus is on a divine appointment. This is no chance meeting. God the Father wants Jesus the Son to meet the woman at the well. Now, some of you have experienced something similar, a divine appointment. It feels like a nudge from God. You get a nudge from God. You get a nudge to go somewhere you don't usually go. And you run into someone that you need to have a conversation with. Or you get a nudge to go to a church picnic. And a Bible that's been missing for a long time suddenly shows up and you get a sense that God's talking to you to be part of something. You get a nudge that you are supposed to write a book. And every now and then you get signs that yes, indeed, he is leading me and this is of God. Or you have a sense, a heavy sense, that God wants you to take action on a decision. And as much as you try to dismiss it, that sense won't go away. Are you experiencing a divine nudge from God? Jesus did, and he willingly obeyed. Will you? God? Jesus did, and he willingly obeyed. Will you obey? Jesus had to meet this woman by divine appointment. He asks for a drink. The woman replies, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And Jesus responds with a grand offer. Verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Water is living if it is moving. Now, fresh water is moving if it comes from a fresh source. Think of a mountain stream that comes from melting snow on top of the mountain. Fresh, moving, living water is scarce in the Middle East. Heavy rains came periodically and would form pools called wadi, but they soon dried up. The water of the Middle East reminds me of the water that I drank in Oklahoma. Large ponds of standing water called watering holes take on the red color of the clay ground. You turn on the tap. Mmm, it tastes like water mixed with dirt. Good for the soul. Jesus' offer for living water... Sounds tantalizing. Anyone would prefer living, moving, fresh water to standing water. But for the woman, his offer appears. Sir, she replies, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? I think of a woman I'll call Marissa Marissa. She had been married for 20 years when her husband left her for another woman and divorced her, leaving her to raise three children on her own. Marissa tried to find love again, but no relationship lasted more than a year. She tried to earn her master's degree, but couldn't manage the classwork along with her full-time job, along with child rearing. Marissa tried to work off the extra pounds she'd gained, but her willpower and energy kept failing. Living water? Oh, that sounds great, but it's completely out of reach. In one way or another, I dare say, I dare say that many of us respond to Jesus like this woman did at the well. Your offer sounds nice, Jesus, but there's no way you can fulfill what you are offering within the context of my life. There are too many conditions working against it. In other words, our limited mind, our small faith, dares to challenge Jesus. Where do you get this living water? Rather than defend himself, Jesus expands upon his offer. Verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water I will give them will never be thirsty. The water I will give them, it will be a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Jesus is not talking about H2O, will never be thirsty. The water I will give them, it will be a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Jesus is not talking about H2O water. He's talking about that dissatisfaction each and every one of us bear if we have never tasted the refreshment that comes from the life of God flowing from within us. C.S. Lewis has this quote. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy... The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. In his book, Sahara Unveiled, William Langovicia tells the story of an Algerian man named Laglag and his companion whose truck broke down while they were crossing the Sahara Aloe Trench under their truck. They lay in its shade to stay out of the sun. They had food but they dared not eat it, aware that it would magnify their thirst. It's dehydration, not starvation, that kills people who get lost in the desert. They were willing to drink anything. When all of their good drinking water was gone, they went to drinking the rusty radiator water. In their struggle to survive, they were willing to drink poison. Now think of what people do to satisfy what God alone can give. People will pursue money, sex, power, mood-altering substances to quench the deep spiritual thirst. But these thirst quenchers are poison, substitute for the living water that Jesus offers. Tim Keller wrote a book entitled Encounters with Jesus. He describes this grand offer that Jesus makes like this. Quote, Jesus says, my water, if you get it, will become in you like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's talking about deep soul satisfaction, about incredible satisfaction and contentment. That doesn't depend on what is happening outside of us. End quote. I ask you this morning, what will make you happy? What will it take for you to live a satisfying life? Most of us answer with something that's outside of ourselves. We set our hopes on romantic love or on a career move or on an outcome of some political or social amount of money that will help us. Jesus states there's nothing on the outside that can satisfy the thirst that's on the inside. As with our hike in Washington, we didn't need snow on our heads. We needed water in our bodies. Jesus said, I can give it. I can put it into you. I can give you absolute, unfathomable satisfaction in the core of your being, regardless of what happens outside, regardless of circumstance. Verse 15, the woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, she does not fully understand what she she is asking for, but she knows what she wants. She wants what Jesus is offering. Philip Yancey, who wrote in Christianity Today about a young man named Mike who works among the homeless. Mike told Yancey about how when you've hit bottom, you don't waste any time building up an image or trying to conform. You pray without pretense. Yancey asked for an example, and Mike said, Well, my friends and I were playing guitar and singing, As the deer penteth for the water, when David, a homeless man, Yancey asked for an example, and Mike said, Well, my friends and I were playing guitar and singing, As the deer penteth for the water, when David, a homeless man, started weeping. That's what I want, man, he said. I want that water. I'm an alcoholic. I want to be healed. Do you want to be healed and satisfied by a spring of water gushing up to eternal life? In 2019, 75 million people in the United States worshiped on a Sunday morning. A third of them are able to say, I interact with God in a real and living way. A third will say, "I've never experienced God." And a third settle in with a vague dissatisfaction in life. Where are you, vague dissatisfaction in life? Where are you this morning? Have you tasted of the living water that Jesus offers? If you have, then share that news like this woman does with her whole city and meets real human needs. Have you been searching, looking for substitutes that cannot satisfy, and you are disappointed Jesus' offer is for you? Or do you doubt that Jesus can give what he offers? So you hang back. You do not expect much, and therefore you do not receive much from him. I close with a short portion of C.S. Lewis' book from The Silver Chair from the Chronicles of Narnia. The scene is Aslan the lion, the Christ figure, lying beside a stream of water. Jill is one of the children who are central to the book, and he thirsty. I'm dying of thirst, says Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, uh, could you, uh, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this by a look and a low growl. And Jill gazed at its bulk, realizing that she might have well asked for the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious, rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting or if it were sorry or if it were angry. It just said it just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill. I suppose I, I must go and look for another stream then, said the lion. There is no other stream than this one that Jesus offers. There's a divine appointment for you today. This living water is for you Sir, give me this water, the woman asks. What do you ask? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.